Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. What happened at CES and what's going to happen next year in the Smart Home? Find out with Nate Williams and Adam Justice, today's guests on the Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Home Show. This is your host, Michael Wolf. It's January 2017. I just got back from CS about a week ago and am fresh and full of ideas for what's going to happen this year. I didn't want to do our 2017 look forward for the Smart Home until I actually had gone to CS because if you do that, your, your analysis is instantly outdated. I also wanted to bring in some other perspectives. And so for that, I have Nate Williams the Chief Revenue Officer for August Home. I also have Adam Justice, VP and co-founder of ConnectSense. And so we take a look at what happened, what we saw at CES. We also talk about the trends and the things we expect to happen in 2017. We look into the crystal ball. So this is a good episode. It's almost an hour packed with predictions and ideas. So I hope you enjoy it. I will have my Smart Home Insider Survey published next week, so keep an eye out for that. Just go to nextmarket.co. You'll, you'll find it there. And if you want to know what's happening in the future of the kitchen, the future of cooking, go to our new editorial site, thespoon.tech, and check that out. All right, folks, that's it for now. Let's talk to Nate and Adam. Well, I'm really excited to have two super smart guys, super plugged into the Smart Home, on today's Smart Home show, Nate Williams, the Chief Revenue Officer for August Home. And Adam Justice, VP and founder of ConnectSense. You guys have both been on the podcast, but uh, welcome back. Thanks Thank for having you. me, Mike. Glad to be here. Uh, I think this is our third time. Yeah, this, this is great. I was telling you, Nate, uh, one of uh, my recent podcasts last year you, you were on is a very popular podcast. Adam, I've had you on before. Those are always popular as well. And I wanted you guys on to to look forward a little bit towards what's going to happen in Smart Home in 2017. We don't need to do any more recaps, although I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what happened last year um, and also what happened to CES because we both we all just got back. Uh, I have the uh, oblig- obligatory CES cold, so uh, excuse that <laughs> if I cough or, or sniffle on the podcast. But, but yeah, it, it was a good show. And Smart Home, I told some folks, I think we've reached peak Smart Home because it was everywhere at the show this year. I don't know about peak smart home because I've seen the map for next year and the smart home space continues to grow. So it's uh, it's going to continue to expand in future years for sure. From my perspective, I think it was really exciting to see this maturity in smart home. So I went to a summit from one of the major retailers and they showed us their impression of where they thought we were in the adoption of smart home. And it was interesting that they said that there was a good a number of people, a big enough of a cohort that has moved beyond the early adopters into the early majority. And so what's exciting about that is you're getting new people who come in either because they want a Google Home or an Echo or they like August or they like Ring, but then they stay in the category and buy additional products. And I think that part is really exciting to see the promise that was five years ago or 10 years ago. People are getting great products. And they're starting to get excited about what comes next. Uh, I think that's a great point, Nate. Um, with when somebody has a great experience with one, uh, whether it's with us or with August or any of the smart home products, 
it, it leaves them wanting more. And so as you have more and more people stepping into the space and have an experience with uh, one of those companies that knows what they're doing and, and can provide a great experience, it's just going to leave them wanting more and building upon that smart home experience in their home. What I like about CES is I go there and I may have heard of a startup a year or two ago, and then they're showing it, you know, Pepcom or one of the kind of the press previews <laughs> and, and like, yeah. or, or maybe they've even moved up to the sands and they've, they've kind of up, they went up to the majors. Uh, they decided to spend a little money. Maybe they got their investment. There's just, there was so much at every, at every press showing as well as in the sands, which I think is the epicenter for the smart home side. Def, the sands has become really ground zero for smart home and IOT technology. The same passion. You know, I, this is my 11th straight CES. I started at the Z-Wave Pavilion uh, <laughs> as part of Four Home and to see it build in momentum. But the South Hall had lost some of its luster in recent years. And the innovation, whether it's drones or AI or smart home IoT, that's, that SAMS Expo Center, that Tech West, was just bopping out of control with excitement and cool, cool things. One other uh, thought, Michael, you were on the invite list. We hosted a happy hour on the first day of show, uh, Canary Tile in August. You know, some of the leaders kind of in this category, you know, breaking away from the Peloton. And the cool part about it was just, you know, really helpful discussions with retailers and insurance companies and e-commerce. And everybody felt similar that we reached a major milestone, Q3, Q4. Everybody sold better than expected. The market grew. And now we're looking at 2017 with this optimism that this could be a really pivotal year. And uh, so I'm starting the year feeling good, and I didn't get the CS cold. <laughs> you know, that's a that's interesting that you say that. You know, I feel like smart home got a little bit of a, a not necessarily black eye, but you know, it, the feeling was down. I think a little bit as you kind of traverse through 2016, and you know, HomeKit was you know continued to be a little bit of a slow rollout. We had some high profile. Um, exits. And so it seems like there is some excitement because of what Amazon's been doing with Alexa, because of you know, the high adoption of Echo, and now Google Home is entering and, every, and everyone's integrating where they can there. Are we, have we seen a shift in that, what was, I think, maybe a little bit of a, a kind of a negative perception around smart home early to mid-2016? Yeah, I definitely think we're, we're starting to see much more positivity from consumers, um, from companies as well as from retailers around smart home and just kind of that tipping point of adoption where I think 2017 is going to be a great year for smart home. You know, Michael, my take on it is with smart home and IOT technology, great power equals great responsibility. And so over the past call it three years, there's been this steady call of, you know, intelligence from Broadcom and NXP and ST micro and others making these devices smart and connected there, we were sort of getting a little too hot and it's the job of the press sometimes to sort of keep a, a certain healthy skepticism in place, whether it's about products or platforms of security. That being said, when I look across the industry at numbers and I compare those numbers with retailers and others, the second half of the year saw a very big increase in the sales of these devices whether it was at retail or online or through service providers. So I think part of that is there is a category of marketing, and Adam had mentioned this, that if you have the best product, they buy that one product. 
And that's the type of marketing that's really important. It's that guerrilla marketing. I want to hire the August lock to keep my front door safe and secure, right? I want to, I want great lighting and I, I work with LifeX or Philips Hue. The other part of that is because now you have a certain penetration, whether it's 5 million Echoes or X million Google Homes, they then look for their next device. And so this hierarchy that I see is folks love whole home Wi-Fi. That's, that's one category that they love. Second is obviously around video, video doorbells, video cameras, outdoor, indoor. And then obviously there's a very healthy Peloton of groups that involve lighting, thermostats, and locks. And so I think there's a lot to be excited about. Last thing I would just say quickly is, and I was speaking with Chris from iDevices and a couple others, is the marketing has gotten a lot better in terms of the emotional content, making that connection and selling why. And it's not about just being some CTO at home, like, you know, coding all this stuff and doing scenes. It's really like, hey, I'm busy and this thing can save me some time and save me some money. I'm going to do it. And I think what we saw maybe was a shift throughout the year. And it, you started to see hints of it in 2015, late 2015. We started to see, you know, I think I said at the end of that year, Alexa was really an echo was the product of the year. We could probably say that again for 2016, but we, we made this transition where in 2014, 2015, we were kind of in the middle of this era of smart home where it was around companies like smart things. And, you know, it was this whole systems. You had your own platform, you had your hub and, and, and what ultimately happened is some of these companies went under yet, you had, you know, the wink troubles, but then, you know, Alexa came out and people started to rethink it. At the same time, uh, like you said, Nate, people also started to market this better. We started to talk a little bit more about creating experiences, looking at specific use cases, whether that's, you know, just things like, uh, home, you know, simple home security, uh, feeding our families, you know, front door awareness. And then you, you had new categories or kind of renewed categories like, like Wi-Fi, mesh Wi-Fi that I think all kind of fed into, I think what we've entered into, Essentially, I don't want to say a new era, but we've kind of shifted from like that, what was happening then to like, I think more renewed and sharper focus on what's working. If you branch predict how people get into an ecosystem, you're always wrong. And so to presuppose somebody's in iOS or Android or HomeKit or works with Nest, I think that's difficult. You really keep your eye on, you've got a product, you have a value proposition, there's people out there. How do you convert them? to take their money and to basically, you know, make the purchase. And that could be in our case, either through Liberty Mutual, who's a partner or ADT or Comcast, where they go to Best Buy or Amazon. So I think the focus on the storytelling and the narrative got a lot better. I mean, I'm really impressed with stuff that I see from, you know, Vivint, Xfinity, great storytelling, other good products. And then it pulls people along. And then once you have those multiple products, if you have two or three products in your home, and you have two or three different apps, that's where you start thinking about the platform or you think about scenes or you think about if you're like, hey, I've got a lock, I've got a Nest Cam, I've got a thermostat. What are some things I can do there? Oh, if I lock my August, maybe I want my Nest to uh, you know, to go to away mode. But you gotta get that first beachhead. And it I think there were a lot of people and a lot of companies um who basically just assumed that was gonna happen and they played their next hand. And a lot of times, if you make those assumptions, you get burnt. Yeah, I think that's a good point also on the ecosystem play, too, is that I also often say that one plus one is definitely more than two. And I think once people realize that, the power of some of these ecosystems and that 
oh, hey, if I get a couple devices in my home and whether that works with Alexa or HomeKit or one of the other ecosystems, then they're going to get that aha and then go looking for more things that work with Alexa or work with HomeKit um, and kind of build upon that. So I think once you get that that experience in an ecosystem, it's definitely going to leave you wanting more. So we we brought you folks together. And one of the things I want to do is really look forward and and let's start to do that. So, Nate, you mentioned Xfinity. You mentioned Vivin. One of the trends I think is going to happen in 2017, and it's already started to happen, is it's going to really be a year of service provider smart home. Um, I think the announcement <laughs> in a way that, you know, you yeah. saw, I think what Comcast did and announced at, at, yeah. at, at CES was huge. They're, they're rolling out a new router gateway with built-in connectivity. Um, and they're also, you know, they're basically going to start to look towards adding free home automation services and not necessarily charge for it like they had been doing with Xfinity Home. And they're going to move Xfinity Home to more of a service tier, more of a security service tier. I think that's huge. Of course, Vivint continues to innovate. So I think when you look about towards going towards the mass market, I think the service providers are going to have a lot to say this year. I 100% agree. It's funny. I, you know, in prep for this uh, podcast, I wrote down some predictions. My top three were, Service providers come back. Number two, insurance finally comes to the table. And number three, more progressive security data business models. And so on number one, service providers, I mean, to me, I think there are uh, a whole bunch of different types of, of users who are predispos- predispositioned to certain categories. Some want to pay with after-tax dollars. They want no recurring monthly revenue. Some are used to a relationship with a Verizon or Comcast or ADT, and they want it curated. I don't think there's one size fit all. And if I look at how people think about these devices, especially with the dominance of the phone platforms, right? You know, iPhone's a great phone. There's other phones out there from Android that are great. If you're buying a phone and you're sitting there waiting for it to get set up, if I see an awesome light or smart lock or, or video doorbell, it's a no-brainer you want that as part of the system. So the other thing that's impressive there is if you look at the people who are now in those leadership positions, take Verizon. Ohad Zira came over from Belkin Wemo. He's now running a smart home team at Verizon. You got folks who have years of experience in building products and services, and they can move the needle. So Dan at Comcast doing a great job. I think there's other folks that are innovating. So our August perspective is we want to make sure that we're supporting those types of partners. And again, I own the partnership platform here. We bridge up to those platforms. We don't have a platform. We would bridge up into a ADT or bridge up into a Comcast. I uh, have high expectations for the service providers this year. And it's not just traditional own all the infrastructure type of uh, service providers. I don't know if you guys saw the announcement by Uma, which is if you guys have a, mm-hmm. if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Uma, they're, they're, they're a yep. over the top telephony play. They have probably 600 to 700,000 subscribers and they just rolled out their own front door sensors and motion sensors and they're going to incorporate that into a $5 a month smart home service. So I think even these over the top players are seeing this as an opportunity. Of course, you see some departures. I think Echo Star, uh, and the, the folks on yep. that side basically backed away from the market. They they tend to fumble out anyway, so I wasn't all that surprised. But you've seen guys like like Uma come into the market as well. Another trend I think is going to be interesting is, and I'd be interested in your perspectives on this. Is I think increasingly we're going to see uh, connectivity move more and more into appliances, whether that's you know white goods, 
whether that's uh, you know stoves, whether that's dishwashers, home systems, and also uh, these guys are going to open up APIs or integrate with APIs to allow for services. I think I was at the Electrolux booth. They'd integrated with IFT. They've also integrated with uh, some meal delivery services. So I think that's going to be another interesting trend this year. Yeah, Mike, I had on my list of predictions is you're going to see, I mean, you're already seeing it, but some of these legacy companies that have been sitting on the sidelines are now jumping in. And what they're seeing is that smart home is table stakes to remain competitive in this business. And I think a good example of this would be somebody we worked with on their device, which was the Moen smart shower that showed at CES. Moen's a company that's been around for a long time and is definitely a a dominant player in the kitchen and bath space. And, you know, they knew that they needed to innovate and jump into this and, um, and did it with that product. So I think you're going to see a lot more companies like that that are totally new to this space, um, you know, jumping in. There's definitely been, there's definitely been trial and error on the side of large industrials and white goods. You know, I can recall, uh, a discussion between the Z-Wave Alliance and a major TV manufacturer kind of 2006, 2007, deciding to put something in or washers and dryers. I think what's really changed over the last five years is the cost per compute has gone down pretty dramatically. So the adder to your build of materials to make a device connected is much lower than it's been in you know the past, call it 10 years. Um, secondly, what I think has gotten exposed is there's a revenue opportunity for having these devices connected, but people have gotten a lot smarter about reducing operational cost. So whether it's the connected dishwasher, refrigerator, appliance, you know, if a part, $2 part goes out and that blows up, then you're going to have a $800, $900 warranty call. And so the ability to pull back these diagnostics and be able to make sense of it can streamline that whole operation and make it a lot better. Um, Michael, you and I have had a couple great podcasts. We've just scratched the surface in terms of innovation on business model. I think we're just really right now moving from the ice ages, you know, into the age of enlightenment. There's a lot more SaaS like models you're going to see in smart home. And it's really going to affect the ability for us to get wide adoption. I think the other thing these companies are realizing too is that a connected product gives them so much more connectedness to that customer like they've never had before. A lot of these white goods and things are sold through distribution and installers and kind of they're two, three steps away from the customer. And now all of a sudden they have data about the customer. They can know how their products are being used. And I think it's going to make for huge strides in the future of using this customer data to build better and better products over time. Another trend that I think you guys will probably all agree with. We've Everyone's been talking about it since the Mirai botnet attack was security. I think that was on display at CES. And and this was a product that was actually in the works for the last year or two, the Norton Core security router. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to see security companies that where their brand is entrenched in security come out with consumer products where their their entire value proposition is basically based on an identity of security. Of course, existing Companies like Securify, which makes uh, makes the almond router, they kind of up their security story, and they were talking about it at CES. So I think that's going to continue to be an important theme throughout the year, particularly as we continue to see more and more of these types of uh, nefarious uh, attacks. Um, and we're you know, there's no doubt that we're going to see more of these in 2017. 
Right. And I think you, all the smart companies are, are definitely doing their due diligence on security. But now I think you're going to see people talking about it more before it was like, okay, we know we need to do this and we're going to do all the steps and go through it. But now I think it becomes part of the message because it's part of people's fear of adoption in this too. So I think you're going to see companies talking about it a lot more too. Little bit of self-selection on security, right? When you, re- when you reduce the hurdle to make a connected device, right? We have accelerators. We have large contract manufacturers that will help you make 10,000 for prototypes. We have Indiegogo. When you lower those bars and you really put an emphasis on time to market, some cases you have folks that take shortcuts. And I think what 2016 showed the industry relative to security is there shouldn't be any shortcuts. You got to design security in from the start. You have to have a people on your team dedicated every day to looking at vulnerabilities, whether it's in the cloud or locally with denial of service. And then over time, we need to think specifically around data, where it's captured, how it's captured, how much connectivity to cloud, how much in fog, how that goes down. And so the cool part is seeing some of these really smart people, whether it's from uh, Intel Wind River, Symantec, Norton, you know, enter these conversations and they're really focused on the data is okay by us. We just want to make sure that it's locked down so people can stay protected. I think that's really important. Um, a corollary to that, which I didn't uh, talk about last year, Michael, when you and I spoke was I find it interesting that many a fortune 500 chief marketing officer are now in these IOT discussions they want to be at the table and they're saying, hey, Michael Wolf, what is the future of that connected kitchen? How are people going to order, you know, our Procter & Gamble goods or the Unilever goods? And then that same person asking, hey, we're spending so much on TV. Is there anything about, you know, inside the home consumer behavior that tells us if our marketing is effective? I didn't see that last year. Um, but through my affiliation with Internet of Things Consortium, I've started to see companies like Disney or Nestle or others that are asking really provocative questions that I think a lot of us who've been long tenured haven't really thought about. And that's a really cool trend. There's a little bit of a tension going back to security for one minute is, you know, we, we have to create greater security for these products, but there's also this, as we move towards the mass market, uh, we want this easy onboarding uh, of consumers when they bring their products home. So you have companies like Serent, and others, I think, I think Xfinity is integrated with Serent. Uh, so where you, you basically bring it home and it's already on the network. You don't even have to really do it and said, Hey, would you like to, can you, you turn on your product and says, we're on the network. Would you like to, would you like to subscribe or, or whatever? So there's that tension. Uh, I think that's a little bit uneasy, but I think both of those things need to happen. And I think that's an interesting thing that we'll see over the course of the year. I'm an advisor to Rob and Sierrant, and one of the things that I'm very impressed with what they do is if you look at connectivity five years ago, 10 years ago, it was really the job of the CTO of the organization to make sure that device was connected. Product management made sure the out-of-box experience and the setup wizard worked, that there was a quality experience. If you look now, the job of connectivity, the job of customer delight, Amazon reviews, Best Buy reviews. It's that CMO's job. And the value proposition of Siren is pretty simple. It's, hey, you buy this great device and you want to make sure that it can be set up and it has all the latest firmware and it's always connected. So that that deal that they did with Comcast and the Zipkey show that they were able to to really uh you know evangelize at CES, that was really powerful. 
Um, I look for companies like them to lead the way to make this experience for, you know, uh, OEMs uh, easier. And so the trade-off shouldn't be, I want to design a device that's easy to set up or I want to make it secure. It should be, we can solve that polarity by having some partners who have great technology that allow the products to get out to the cloud without going through the actual homeowner's Wi-Fi. I want to talk a little bit about standards and in, in regards to fragmentation a little bit, because I think one of the trends I think is happening is we're seeing reduced fragmentation. Increasingly, products are coming together through fairly low friction universal interfaces. Like I think Alexa is one of those, right? It kind of allows you to bridge different devices, IFT, other services like that. Um, so I think that's going to be a, an increasing, increasingly uh, important trend in 2017, let me ask you, Adam, you know, you work closely with HomeKit, fresh back from CES, you make HomeKit devices. Do you think HomeKit will gain momentum and continue to broaden the different types of devices and platforms it works with? Yeah, I mean, I think HomeKit had a, a very good showing at, at CES this year. Um, probably the most uh, new devices announced than any other year. So a uh, dozen or so from, you know, Ring, Honeywell, D-Link, Yale, Chamberlain, Leviton, et cetera. Um, so I think uh, definitely momentum is gaining and you're also kind of filling out the house a little bit more with solutions for every corner of the house. And, you know, I think part of what took so long with HomeKit is just that it's a more complicated integration. It's a, it's a hardware spin. So that takes more time. Uh, but now you're starting to get everybody getting those products out. And, and more of a complete solution there. And I also think, you know, Apple was kind of laying the base for what HomeKit was going to be. And obviously a huge endorsement and investment in HomeKit with the Home app and the really deep integration into iOS 10 that we saw. And so now I think, you know, now Apple builds from there and kind of builds on this experience. So I think, you know, you're going to only see more from them and deeper integration and some cooler things you're going to be able to do. I think one of the ways that HomeKit really differentiates, and we're just starting to scratch the surface on this, is really the true automation aspect. Um, and I think that's a key advantage it has over Alexa and some of the other platforms is kind of that device-to-device -device communication and the ability to set up things. So, you know, when I come home and my August lock unlocks, then the lights automatically turn on and that kind of stuff. So I think that power we're just getting started on. Adam made a variety of good points. I remain committed to my position. I've stated multiple times that I've, smart home is too important. IoT is too important for any one consumer technology brand not to have a play. So whether it's Amazon or Google or Apple, Samsung, Microsoft, you have to have a play in IoT. It's just too important. So if we look at the approaches, I agree with Adam. Uh, HomeKit, we've had tremendous success uh, with August in our HomeKit lock. Our second generation lock has exceeded all expectations, both in awards and sales, locked up hero status at almost every retailer that we're at, and we've expanded our distribution quite quite dramatically. It's a point of view where they've thought and they've been very detailed about how that future may look. And we respect that attention to detail and what that ecosystem, you know, holds in the future. Um, there will be choices for other consumers and it just depends on where those entry points are. Uh, we like the idea 
that a consumer is going to have choice. Our hope, obviously, at scale is that there is some measure of interoperability because you don't want customers to be stranded um, in any one ecosystem where they can't logically bridge some of these devices. But uh, so far, I've seen fair play. And one of the benefits of the larger brands coming into smart home is the signaling at retail. Adam had mentioned the home app on iOS. That is a great symbol to a customer who may want to choose smart home to show that, you know, here's a company, Apple, that's standing behind a category and that there's a bunch of great devices from names like, you know, Philips and Chamberlain and Schlage and others like August who are making products that fit that spec. So remain excited about that. I would uh, predict that we are several years away from any one platform claiming victory. Certainly, Alexa was the bell of the ball again at CES this year. Um, that was definitely part of the the story was Alexa, uh, Alexa integrations for all. And uh, I think that's just going to continue to grow. And part of that is just because that Alexa integration is, is, you know, a lot easier to come by since it's more cloud-based um, than something like HomeKit. And I think the other thing we saw emerge at CES this year was actually Alexa being baked into devices. And um, I think we're just getting started there. That was really interesting um, from companies making their own Alexa speakers um, to probably the most impressive one that was like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense for me was uh, First Alert has Alexa baked into their next generation smoke detector. So here you have a device that you're going to have in every room in your house anyways, and now you're going to be able to talk to Alexa through it. Um, that seemed like a no-brainer to me. Last year at the end of CES, we kind of said, you know, Amazon won CES. We, we've seen the same <laughs> headlines this year. Looking forward towards, you know, the rest of 2017, do they start to get more competition? Um, because I think, you know, they kind of showed uh, a different approach. I think Google's trying to fall fast. I'm not exactly sure what Apple's going to do, but I actually think Google's going to invest tons of resources in this. And I think they're going to, they're going to actually bolster their awareness and offer an alternative. Google is obviously very, fairly pervasive in our lives, right? So I think, I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch this year. As, uh, as Nate said, you know, one, people vote in various ways. Definitely one of the people, one of the ways people vote on their smart home ecosystems is what what kind of smartphone do I have in my pocket? And obviously the Android market share is huge. Um, so the people that are on Android are going to look to Google to be that ecosystem for them. And part of that story is definitely Google Home. Um, you know, some new integrations there from Belkin and a handful of others, but it's still pretty small, especially compared to Alexa. And I think the other piece of that story also is what is Google doing with Weave and kind of their their competitor to HomeKit in that ecosystem play. And hopefully we'll see more from them in 2017 and actually start to get some devices shipping in that space as well. Yeah, great point, Adam. I, I'd i be hesitant not to give Amazon team a ton of credit for creating a, a, just a great deal of excitement in the industry and executing extremely well. So the, you know, the Dave Limps of the world and Charlie Kindle and those folks have done an amazing job. And they've really highlighted such a pivotal use case in smart home, which is some people don't need to touch pieces of glass for home automations. There's some interfaces like voice that are natural for certain things like a good night scene or, or 
you know, anything of that matter, playing music, weather, et cetera. There'll always be pieces of glass for things like more different automations if you want something personal. But I think that's a good transition. That being said, I do not believe any platform has uh, reached escape velocity. And if you look at Google, clearly this is strategic. They have a ton of great leadership. They have strong engineering. Google Home came out and, and had very solid performance in many of the retail partners. Some retail partners are not motivated to partner with Amazon. So that could also be, you know, a little bit of horse trading. Uh, overall, you, you look to the end of next year and you say there are some pretty discrete strategies that are being followed that have different pros and cons for partners. So Amazon has done a great job. If you look at, if you're a, a big white good company, you could partner with Amazon. You could have a cloud hosted service that sits on an S3 server. They had bought a company called Telemetry that could give you a bunch of great stats and tools. You want to have voice. You can license AVS and get voice. And then they can actually sell it for you on their marketplace. That's a very strong value proposition. Whilst with Google, you could have something that's native to Android, supported by Thread or Weave, partnered with Works with Nest, and potentially available on either Chromecast or Google Home. So those are compelling choices. And Apple, clearly, you know, mindshare-wise, leader in smartphones, Apple TV, et cetera, HomeKit remains an extremely uh, attractive value proposition, one that's clearly thought highly about security, security from the start because of the MFI chip. One of the things I think you get when you're first to market with a creating kind of a new kind of ecosystem, which I would call Alexa skills is you, you, you do, uh, do a, quite a land grab. And so they have that 7,000 skills. I think one thing we need to remember is Google just basically launched their third party actions platform. I think late in 2016, I think just in December, they only had like 35 or so third party, uh, actions in total. Um, I'm not exactly sure of the count after CES, but I think now that they have that out there, uh, they're going to try and water and feed that over the course of 2017. So it'll be interesting to revisit what is essentially their skills platform at the end of, end of this year. Adam, one of the things you mentioned with regards to Google is we've, you know, they just rena- renamed their IoT OS uh, to call Google Things. That's one thing that you see with Google is they continue to kind of go back, uh, reframe things, rename things. I think that's created a little bit of confusion. We, of course, saw them move a little bit away from Nest as the epicenter of their smart home kind of innovation engine uh, last year with kind of the fallout with, with Fidel. But uh, I think those are kind of some of the lingering effects. Um, do, do you guys think those will continue to hobble Google or you think they've kind of got a clear strategy moving forward? I certainly hope they do. I mean, I think that's definitely something that's set them back so far is that they've got this – all these disjointed strategies. I mean, they even had two platforms called Weave, one at Nest and <laughs> one at Google, um, which always kind of, you know, dumbfounded me. Um, you know, I think they need to unite on one path forward and, and make that the way to integrate IoT with Google. So, uh, hopefully between Weave and, and Google Home, they have a strategy there and they're going to put all their muscle behind it. Let's talk a little bit about about monetization, I think that's an important just overall theme. When you look at the smart home, you know, a couple of years ago with all the startup activities is basically about trying to bring a new product to market and, and get traction. Now we've seen to create sustainable business models, uh, companies are more and more thinking about how do I make this a product with recurring monthly re- revenue, with service integrations. Certainly what you've done over at August 
Nate with, with, um, the August access platform, I think is kind of right in that wheelhouse. I think that's going to be an ever more important trend in 2017, trying to create sustainable service based and commerce based business models for the smart home. I, I agree with you in, in your coverage of our August access business in terms of some of the pilots with Sears and Postmates and others have been really, really good. You know, I, when I look to smart home, I think there's a triangle by which smart home really takes off and goes north of 50% adoption. And the triangle is built on three points. First is reliability. You have to base it on technology that's reliable, scalable, comes from large folks like TI, Broadcom, and others. So I think that's important. Next is usable. So it has to be usable from the standpoint of if I have to program something or it's too hard to set up, it takes, you know, five hours, not going to do it. Though we've made progress across the industry. These are very reliable, usable products that have Apple-like quality look great. But the third leg has really been around affordability. And I didn't say cheap because people say, they hear affordability, say, these devices all need to be $49. No, it's value. You're looking at these devices and you're saying, I'm making an investment in a device and I'm exchanging money. I need to get something from it. So in the case of a thermostat, that $200 thermostat you buy from Nest or from Ecobee or Honeywell, you might get rebates back from the utility and that pays for itself over a period of time. Where I'm seeing some real interesting movement is first of all with insurance. So Liberty Mutual came in as an investor in August. We were the first strategic investment Liberty Mutual made. If I look at insurance as a public, smart devices and people who own smart devices are good bets from an insurance perspective. They're conscientious about the security of their home. They have it with the up to latest technology. So insurance is one of those people who can effectively help make the smart home value proposition tighter. Just some real market stats here. U.S. median household income is $57,000 a year. The cost of a smart home upgrade, if you have lights and thermostats and a bunch of other things, maybe $2,000. So that may not be reachable by north of 50% of, of households here in the U.S. And so we have to make some changes. Two th- things I would call out that I think are really interesting and could spend more time on. First is uh, August, Nest, and Lutron partnered with Coldwell Banker in the formation of a smart home staging kit. So if you're selling your home, Coldwell Banker uh, will give you the opportunity to put in August and a Nest and a Lutron that allows you to designate it a smart home. And if I'm buying that home, I get these hero products and it shows up in my mortgage. Totally cool, really awesome like that. Second thing would be August Access that you mentioned. So August views itself as a company focused on safety and security at that front door. We want people, products, and services coming through. So on the services part, some of our trials, what we've seen is a lot of consumers do not want to take a day off from work to have something show up at home. Meanwhile, August published research and so did Vivint showing, you know, maybe one in four Americans have had package theft in the last, you know, two, three years. And so what we're seeing is this progressive business model that at scale, um, where we could potentially be saving billions of dollars in logistics and by that, effectively making these smart home products more accessible every day. So I wish I had more to report. Obviously, it's highly confidential, but that is something that I think you'll hear plenty about in the next year. I think that's a good point on affordability, too. Um, I think one of the monetization trends 
is that in general, just consumers expect a lot for free. Um, so the good news is that a lot of those services with through things like AWS are coming way down in price. Um, and so that makes it more realistic for companies to offer these services for free. Um, but definitely you're going to, I think you're going to see some companies that try to build subscription business models that don't make sense. So I definitely think the, you know, the services and the add-ons where they make sense are a great business model, but I think you have to look into what the value is for the consumer and make sure it makes sense. Another area I see, uh, an increasing amount of external companies coming in into the smart home is in packaged goods, uh, CPG type of companies. And, you know, you guys know that I look closely at the kitchen. That's an area where I've seen a couple just really interesting movements lately. You've seen, and this is, seems to center around alcohol. Centauri Beam, the company behind Jim Bream, Beam invested in a company called Bartesian. Uh, you've seen, huh. you've seen InBev, uh, the company that makes Budweiser. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. and they've got together with Keurig and they're going to actually kind of revisit and try to bring together a home alcohol maker. Um, of course you, you've seen Dash. Um, I just think there's a lot of interesting things that you can do when you, you're a packaged food company now. And they're working with appliance makers as well, whether that's around the Dash platform or their own platforms. So I think that's another area we're going to see some activity this year. Uh, you go attack the friction points. I look at some of the stuff that we do. Uh, we have three small kids. We were big uh, diapers.com people. It was bought by Amazon. We're very big uh, prime customers. We're big Costco folks. This sort of... Uh, you know, episodic or periodic kind of consumption is pretty interesting where it's scheduled. So if you look at a finite amount of free time in your life and all these decisions you have to make, do I need the light bulbs? Do I need, you know, more, uh, you know, paper towel in the home, et cetera. Once you can make that more programmatic, first of all, I think it reduces, you know, kind of friction for customers to buy. That's why Dash is so interesting. The other implication, though, from talking to my CPG friends is those brand decisions that you make, you know, do you prefer Jiffy peanut butter versus Skippy or something else? They stick for a long period of time. And so if you have brand preference and then you lock in sort of programmatic buying, if I choose Coca-Cola over Pepsi and I have it automatically delivered by Amazon, that might happen for 10, 15 years. And so I think there's some pain points in terms of that. Other is relative to IoT with some of these refrigerators, including I saw a 19 inch, uh, tablet, you know, piece of glass on a Samsung fridge. You know, is there some sort of machine learning or intelligence over time that's not creepy that I can choose to turn on and turn off? You know, um, it, it, does that help you make decisions better? Right. Whether it's, Hey, I'm training for a race and I need to make sure I have enough Gatorades in the fridge or some, or something more around children. Uh, consumers will take the benefit, but we as an industry need to be a little bit more palms on the table to show them, hey, this is how this stuff is happening. I believe there is an encroaching feeling from the mass market saying, you know, some of the stuff is a little bit creepy, right? You're seeing me, you're hearing me, you're automatically ordering stuff. I have a fight with my wife about, you know, who's going to walk the dog. I get retargeted with a dog walking, you know, ad. So, a lot of innovation happening. I think the kitchen of any one room in the home, and I know you do a great job at the Smart Kitchen Summit, that kitchen will be the absolute center point of the disruption 
and smart home in 2017, for sure, 100%. That warms my heart, Nate. I'm glad to hear you say that. Thanks for the plug. I'm just – Checks I'm, in the mail. You know, I was involved with Orange Chef. I just love the, the category, and I just look at how our life's changed from having a voice assistant in the kitchen. It's become a place more where we hang out. We listen to the Christmas Carol being read on Echo. Uh, we're, we're, we're purchasing things. Like it's, it's a cool phenomenon. And I would just bridge back, Adam, to your memory of smart home and, and to Michael's. Remember companies like Chumby. Remember companies like Open Peak and others. These type of devices were out five, six years ago. They just thudded. Uh, I think the market is definitely ripe. We're going to see some really interesting things coming up. I uh, I love the Chumby, by the way. I miss that device. I wish it. I wish it actually made it. <laughs> of course, I'm a nerd. I had one, and Jim Hunter had one. Oh yeah, we had them for sure. We loved them. You know, one thing I, to play a little bit not not devil's advocate, but I I'm I'm not skeptical, but I I question the traction around Dash. I'd be interested to hear your guys' opinion on that. Amazon doesn't release numbers around that. Um, what I what I wonder about with Dash is recurring behavior. Um, is how many people are using it. Um, you know, the, it wasn't a loud show at CES for Dash. I, I do think that's continues to be an open area. I, I don't think certainly Amazon owns it, but I think they're definitely going to continue to invest in that because it's a direct line of monetization around trying to kind of uh, own the middle of the grocery store. Um, so I, I don't know if you guys have any insight into that, but I'm just continuing to wonder how that's doing. I know we're a big dash home, but you know the three of us are probably all early adopters. So a survey amongst us <laughs> yeah, is yeah, not, exactly. not worth anything. Um, but you know, I think it makes sense for some things, and I think part of that also is as Amazon broadens their footprint and can deliver dash affordably for more products, um, that will change that also. Because I noticed in some of the things I got dash buttons for, it was like. You would never push this button because it's such a, a ripoff at, you know, whatever they charge. So some things like cases of water just don't make sense to be delivered by Amazon right now, but that's going to continue to change and evolve. And I think the other play here too is with the prevalence of echo and, and how much, how deep that is in the home now. Maybe that dash doesn't make as much sense when you can just have Alexa order stuff for you. So that seems to be where they're throwing their weight, but. Uh, you know, we'll see over time. And do those point, do those converge at some point where Dash and Alexa shopping? I, I don't have any inside information here. I would assume that they do. Remember the consumer adoption of smart home, and we talk mostly consumer smart home. I'm super interested and spend a lot of time on sort of the B2B IoT side, which is interesting. But the consumer adoption of these, it can't be led by because company A or brand B wants a consumer to do it. It has to be that value, that benefit accrues to the consumer. So, you know, part of this might be a little bit of tail wagging the dog. Hey, I have a brand, I'm jet.com and I want people to order all the time because then I can predict how much to order. I can predict my revenue with more fidelity, et cetera. That doesn't mean crap to the consumer um, until you can show them why that helps. So, you know, the paradigm I would take on this is, you know, this idea of automatic bill pay when it first came out, people thought that was kind of not that smart. It's like, hey, I get my bill. I'll pay at the very last second. Now I look at most of our bills in our household. It's automatic paid. I, I, I check that it's okay. But why do I want to have the hassle of having to plan on sitting down for an hour or two and paying bills? I know it's just going to happen. 
So I think over time, if you gave me a promotion that said, hey, Nate, if we can get you on this plan and you're going to pre-order 90% of your, you know, kind of uh, consumables, right, and then non-perishables, I'd be happy to do it. You know, we would be happy to do it and, you know, take the pressure off. But those types of things uh, take a little bit of time. There's some some push and taking. But five years from now, absolutely believe 75% or more of the household consumption will be programmatic. Just it just makes a ton yeah, of that, sense. Yeah, that's the macro trend, right? I mean, once uh, you know, Dash may be the first taste for a CBG company of like what you call pro- programmatic buying, connected connected commerce, or whatever you want to call it. There's no reason why Amazon couldn't bring those folks over uh, to Alexa buying if they want, but also just subscription. You know, they launched subscriptions before they even launched Dash, and I just subscribe to a certain if I describe if I subscribe to fish oil pills. Uh, that thing just keeps coming every month or two. So I, there's no reason why all those things don't converge at some point. Yeah. By the way, the other one is, hey, you know, this idea of collaborative consumption. We're in neighborhoods. We, we're all on next door. Can we share video feeds and security infrastructure? Uh, nobody seems to ever be able to finish those Costco peanut butters. They're so big. <laughs> hey, can we figure out a way to split this, you know, 72 pack of Coca-Colas before the Super Bowl? I, that's an area where, you basically get the efficiency gain, but people can also purchase in the increments that they want. So I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about how the neighborhood, how the family unit, how the extended family think about security and safety and convenience. And that leads me to believe that there's going to be a little bit more collaboration in terms of how people get uh, home services in the front door or even how they think about who secures them and when. I love that that you brought that up. And that might actually be a trend that I hadn't really thought of for 2017. I know that Google had been doing research. They had filed some patents around neighborhood-based security where, you know, alarm is tripped and neighbor- notifies the neighborhood over a network. I know that uh, Neighborhood Watch had actually been working on that as well. I see no reason why that doesn't continue to move forward. And whether or not you're fusing with, like you said, maybe it's like a next door. They become more important there yeah. or whatever. I think that's an, that's an interesting – Life 360. Yeah, yeah. Life 360. I think th- those guys – I would imagine those guys would be looking at the smart home and how do they integrate with it? Yeah. I mean, think about this. If, if, if I wanted August to be in, you know, five out of every 10 households, a way to think about that is what is the network effect? So Aaron Battalion, who's over at Lightspeed Venture Capital, he was the CTO of Living Social. He wrote this awesome post of like, create a, a, a fake IP camera company, create a network effect that everybody can use it in the neighborhood. Do you get way more adoption? That's a, that's a trend that I see really, really big. If you think of the interdependence, I count on my neighbors for a lot. You know, we have folks in our neighborhood who are retired. We have three small kids. I love the fact we have eyes and ears in the neighborhood. And if called upon, you know, I want to make sure that I can help a neighbor out. So my neighbor, next door neighbor was gone. They were vacationing. I walked home at night. Their door was wide open. The people who walked their dog left the door wide open. And so he had a Nest Cam. I was texting him, um, and I couldn't get a hold of him. I just went in and closed the door. Well, they didn't come home for two more days. That could have been pretty bad. And so you think about this sort of crowdsourced neighborhood watch. If somebody gave me a uh, you know text message that said, "Hey Nate, uh, you know I left my bike out. Can you put it in your garage?" I'd do that in a second. And I also think from an economic standpoint, you can start driving down the cost. So. Last example would be Michael, you, me, Adam, Jim Hunter, Martin Manakee from Greenwave, and whoever, Tep from Apple. 
we all live on the same neighborhood. Why is it we all, all wanted smart home? We were all going to do a smart home upgrade in the same week. Could we go to Best Buy, have the Best Buy install tech geek squad do it all at the same time? It's possible. So that, you know, uh, people wrongly conflate that August and Ring are such hard competitors. We have respect for Jamie and they have respect for us. That would be an example with what they did in LA. I think it was pretty cool, you know, like getting in the community, showing how these cool devices can help prevent crime. That's a good, that's a good trend. That's a trend we want to see more of. I'm flattered that you think I could live in your neighborhood. If, I don't know if I can, <laughs> I can know if I can afford it with some of those guys, but, uh, as, as long as you don't drive that Trans Am loud after, after midnight, uh, Nate. That's it's a, that's it's an I rock and, and I'm married <laughs> up. My wife is a very, uh, a very smart lady. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I, I want to live in that neighborhood. Exactly. That's like the great neighborhood. <laughs> hey guys, we're good. We're, we're at almost an hour. Uh, our, our listeners probably have to get to stuff and you do as well. So I'm going to, I'm going to close it up by asking you guys for just some, some, a couple predictions for 2017. What do you see? Any surprises you may see happening in the smart home? And I'll start, I'll start with you, Nate. Yeah. I'm going to go back to my top three, which are service providers come back, back with a vengeance. We're going to see a lot of service providers this year, better stories, better product, better curation, going to do great. Second would be insurance. They've, uh, they've tested and analyzed and crunched numbers. I expect insurance to make some really big moves, investments. They might buy some companies. They may also choose to go in and make it themselves, show up at retail. And the last would be a really big wave and a big announcement regarding these new security data commerce business models. I expect somebody to do something this year that's such a game changer it changes the conversation of smart home and it makes smart home adoption an inevitability. Uh, the two that we mentioned already, uh, I mentioned legacy companies jumping in. I think you're going to see a lot more of this, uh, this year and beyond. Um, also just traction. Nate mentioned better messaging amongst companies. Uh, I think you're going to see more of that. I think you're going to start to see better products continuing to come out as well as maturity of the ecosystems and better ecosystems. So I think you're going to see maturity of standards and platforms, and that's going to push the the whole industry further ahead. And then the last one, a little bit more future-y, I think smart homes going to get smarter. I think we're going to see some advancement in AI and some other technologies there um, that will really start to to bring some intelligence to the smart home. Those are all great. I talked a little bit about my predictions on the last podcast with the Home Tech FM folks. Um, I'll say a couple things. I think kind of along the same lines that you, you mentioned there, Adam, is I think the smart home gets smarter. And I think smart and intel- smarts and intelligence moves more into the fabric of the home, whether that's the furniture or just the home systems, the, the, you know, the light switches, they just become more and more aware. We'll see some progress there. Uh, I, I too think this is just more my, maybe I'm a little bit too fixated on robotics, but I, I saw a couple interesting announcements around integration with robotics and the smart home. I think that becomes a more important story because that's just a large technology mega trend. I, I think robotics is a point where it will become more, it's definitely becoming more consumer ready. And so you have companies like iRobot looking very closely at, at the smart home. And I think that'll be interesting as well. But yeah, I think, I think uh, this is going to be an exciting year, guys. Definitely, and uh, let's make sure that Adam and I get some tickets to your next Smart Home Summit, your next Smart Kitchen Summit, too. We need to be there. You guys are going to come up for that, and we'll have some cool food tech for you. Hey, guys, Sounds I, good. Awesome. I appreciate it, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys next year. Sounds All good. Right. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Adam, for getting together 
talking about what you think will happen in the course of the next year in the Smart Home. If you have any ideas, if you have any feedback about the Smart Home Show, give me a shout out on Twitter, direct message me. I'm at Michael Wolf on Twitter. All right, folks, that's it. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>